This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, June 27, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. UK voters have decided to leave the European Union. So what? If trade and labor markets don't suffer, there may not be much difference for the average person. Tom Clardy is managing editor of Cato Journal. We spoke today. This is from uh, the Washington Post front page. Uh, For EU, biggest threat is the will of its people. They describe a group of students who are essentially getting master's degrees in Brussels on the EU. And the, the paper notes here, it is perhaps telling that a higher degree is needed to fully grasp the EU, a fact that has isolated it from many of the citizens it serves. So... It, it seems like the EU is a very complicated thing. There are many countries that uh, bristle at the idea of a bunch of decisions being made in Brussels that they are fully capable of and willing to, and in some cases would prefer to make themselves. I think the regulation of cinnamon and baked goods was one of the regulations that the, the EU tried to, to foist on, on these countries. So Brexit, it, from that perspective, is understandable. but. There are other reasons that this thing occurred, and it wasn't just about uh, Brussels exerting regulatory authority over its member states. Not solely because of that, no, but let me pick up on a couple of of things you just said there. Um, First of all, if the EU is at threat from its people, that's a fairly damning indictment of an organization that at least claims, claims to be democratic. Secondly, the fact that people are getting degrees in the EU. You said that that suggests it's a highly complex organization, and that is absolutely true. Um, The thing I would point out there, though, is that it's not complex by accident. Uh, There's no... uh, There's no lack of intention in people not being able to understand what happens at the EU and how it operates as an institution, that actually is part of the design. Uh, It was never meant to be a democratic institution. It was never really meant to have a lot of accountability in it. It was a project of elites who were pursuing a particular set of ideas that they knew uh, their populations were not necessarily on board with at the time. And the EU has always run ahead of public opinion in terms of integration. Um, And you'll see this a lot in the papers in the coverage at the moment. They'll say the European Commission has always used a crisis to advance European integration. And it's precisely that uh, sort of unavoidable sprint for more and more Europe, more and more Brussels. That's a slogan that people use, more Europe. More Europe. It's precisely that imperative, which I think Britain has just objected to. Um, And it's interesting that when you look at the polling data that's already coming out on why people voted to leave the European Union, by far and away, the dominant issue is sovereignty, democratic accountability, the idea that laws that affect Britons should be made at Westminster by the members of parliament that Britons themselves elect. Now, That's not the whole story, of course. There is more to it than just democratic accountability and the idea that power should be exercised as close to the people it affects as possible. Immigration has undoubtedly been a major issue. Um, The Leave campaign dwelled on it in a way which I didn't approve of. I think that uh, some of the policies that were suggested during the course of the campaign would be much too restrictive on immigration. I think that European migration actually, on the whole, uh, has been a very good thing for Britain. Uh, European migrants tend to be better educated. They're more likely to be employed. um, They contribute overall to the British Treasury. 
and so on. So I think it was a mistake to focus so much on immigration. But there is no question, a lot of people who supported Britain leaving the European Union, one of their main motivating factors there is that they want less immigration. One of my concerns about this was that, you know, as a lot of media outlets were focusing on immigration very heavily, uh, that if trade and migration are severely disrupted within Europe, then I would have probably been on the side of remain. But I don't, I don't know why that's the case. Can you provide some sort of comfort for uh, people who support free trade and uh, relatively unrestricted migration? Sure. A couple of things. First of all, Britain's Leave campaign was very, very pro-trade. They were pro-trade with the European Union. They were also pro-trade with the rest of the world. Indeed, this was one of their constant messages that if we leave the European Union, we will finally be at liberty to trade freely with other countries, the United States, China, India, and so on. Secondly, yes, immigration was part of the Leave campaign. But if you look at the people who voted Leave and did so primarily because of immigration, that comes to about 15, 16, 17% of the British electorate. So a significant minority, you know, views that have to be taken into account, but not necessarily a dominant force. Thirdly, this referendum uh, provided an answer on a very narrow question. Should Britain leave the European Union or remain in the European Union? Britain chose to leave. When you talk about leaving the European Union, you're talking about leaving a political institution. You're talking about taking powers back from Brussels, exercising them in Westminster. You're not necessarily talking about any particular change in the trading relationship. Indeed, I'd go further than that and say this referendum doesn't represent an endorsement of any particular set of policies once you've left the European Union, nor does it represent an endorsement of any particular set of politicians. So. UKIP are not suddenly running the show, the UK Independence Party. You still have the Conservative government you had before. You still have the same composition of the House of Commons. Um, and you still have 48% of people who voted to remain in the European Union whose views the government will take into account. So when you put all this together, I find it almost inconceivable from the British end that there will be any push to radically damage the trading relationship with Europe. In fact, quite the opposite. And what I would say there as well is that you have Switzerland, you have Norway, you have Iceland. These are countries that are in the European single market, but they're not members of the European Union. They trade freely with the rest of Europe. And I think Britain will probably continue to do the same. Is, that li is it likely that Britain will say, well, we're not a part of the EU, but we're more than happy to be part of this common market? That's my hope. I think that would be the best option. I think it's the most realistic option in the short term um, because this Brexit thing, it wants to be wrapped up in two to three years. Um, we know that trade negotiations with the EU take seemingly forever. Uh, that's one of the big problems with the EU, I would say. Um, and the, what is, what's called the EEA, the European Economic Area, um, it's described as the Norway model in a lot of the press coverage. Here, in, in that, you have an off-the-shelf option that you can go to. Uh, now, maybe that's only a temporary arrangement towards something which is more bespoke um, and a, you know, a, a bilateral between Britain and the European Union. Um, I don't know. But I think in the short term, that's probably going to be the direction of travel. There is one big problem, um, which is that European Economic Area membership includes the free movement of people. 
right? It's not just goods, services, and capital. It's people too. And while I'm fine with that, and as I've said, I think that European migrants um, bring a lot of benefits to Britain and the British economy, um, clearly there are people in Britain who will feel that the result of the referendum has been betrayed if there are no restrictions on the free movement of people. So that EEA option, it does include what's called an emergency break. So there are things the government can do in extreme situations to restrict migration, even within that framework. Um, what some people are talking about already, though, um, and these are people I would describe as uh, the, more, the, li the more liberal or the more libertarian leavers, people like Boris Johnson, who may well be the next British prime minister, Daniel Hannan, who is fairly well known over here as well. Um, they're talking about a kind of EEA plus arrangement. So your basic EEA plus some concession on free movement, uh, which may simply be that people can only come to work. So, and it's not free movement of people, it's the free movement of labor. You go back to a early 90s sort of situation before the Maastricht Treaty. That's one way this can go. But I think just to sum that whole point up, um, there is a lot of volatility in markets. A lot of people are panicking, it seems, and clearly there is uncertainty and there is risk. But overall, I think that um, the chances of this trading relationship being significantly diminished by Brexit are pretty slim. It requires everybody to play ball. European leaders can't um, try and punish Britain, um, you know, uh, to set an example and to prevent other European Union members from following in their path. And while that may be a temptation, I think it's unlikely because, frankly, um, they have at least as much of an interest in trade ties with Britain as Britain does with the rest of the EU. Uh, so I think one shouldn't panic. Um, I think actually that those people who were opposed to Britain leaving the European Union, they should now focus on trying to get the kind of re new relationship that they would like to see. Um, you've probably seen reports uh, that there is a, a petition for a second referendum and, and so on. These th it's just not going to happen. And it's, it's just a bad idea. It's a bad approach. Move on. Focus on what happens next. I may be recalling this incorrectly, but didn't uh, the European Union push several votes for adoption of a constitution, uh, among other things, over time? That it just seems like, well, we didn't get the result we want. It seemed like the result was not satisfactory. Therefore, right. we're going to give you an opportunity to vote again, uh, again on this. They certainly have form in this area. Yes, there have been several occasions when people have been asked to vote. Those people have given the wrong answer, uh, and they've been given the chance to vote again, uh, possibly under some menaces. So yes, um, it has happened. I find it extremely unlikely, almost inconceivable that it would happen in these circumstances. There are people, particularly Donald Trump, who are trying to make this shift of Britain out of the European Union much like his attempt to win the presidency. And from what I understand, that, that there's not a lot to that, except perhaps some a vocal minority of some angry people who don't have a high regard for migrants or trade. Brexit has been, to a certain extent, a populist uprising. Um, there's no doubt that a lot of the rhetoric and campaigning materials have been explicitly anti-politics, anti-elites. You can draw comparisons there fairly easily. There is part of the Brexit movement which is very strongly motivated by migration. 
Again, you can draw a comparison there with Trump. I think on trade, there's a massive difference. Um, the Leave campaign, very pro-trade. Uh, Donald Trump, clearly not so much. Um, but I also think that Americans need to be wary of trying to look at everything that happens in Europe through the American political lens. Um, and I think we all do this. You know, Brits will look at things happening in other countries. They'll see it as a reflection of trends in their own country. And while it's certainly the case that maybe all across the world, but certainly the developed world, Britain and America and, and Europe, um, there are these anti-elitist, anti-politics, -po populist movements, but there are almost as many things as divide those movements as there are that hold them together. Tom Clardy is managing editor of Cato Journal. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.